Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today I have the pleasure of having Brian Culp, author of Electric Cars for Dummies, as my guest. Uh, welcome, Brian. Well, thank you, Stuart. I appreciate the chance to speak about uh, EVs and uh, really a fan of what you do and what you put together for the, the EV group in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know I'm not alone. I was very excited when I saw that this was out, um, I think right before the holidays. Um, you know, Electric Cars for Dummies. The Dummies series, um, it's hard to believe, but it's over 30 years old. Um, and I believe the first ones really had a lot to do with computers and computer operating systems. And it's just kind of grown. And uh, first one was 1991. So more than 6,000 titles. And I believe it's between 150 and 200 new books are published every year. You kind of have to live under a rock to not know about the Four Dummies series. It has that really striking black and yellow uh, kind of just jumps out at you. And I mean, now it's totally diverse. You know, you could get calculus for dummies, which I'm not planning on picking up. But, uh, you know, just about any topic you could think about. Um, I guess starting with EVs. Um, yeah. How did... EVs come into your life? I mean, what, what made you uh, interested in that? And what's your, your reason for kind of jumping on that? Well, yeah, first I'll touch on the Dummies book, the, the one in 1991, I think you're talking about and and your audience can can fact check me, but I got up to speed a little bit as I started the this title for the publisher, which is John Wiley and Sons. And I think their first title was DOS for Dummies. Yes, right. And it just became a huge hit because DOS is not an easy operating system to learn. And there wasn't a lot of great documentation about it at the time um, or what was there was just exhaustive to go through. And, and this was kind of a more of a pared down version of what you would need to get started with DOS. So it just, it, it launched an empire. One of the, the people that, that I did not realize started their career in, in dummies was uh, David Pogue who is now a CBS Sunday correspondent on technology and a New York Times columnist. Uh, he wrote several dummies titles, including dummies like Magic for Dummies. But there are, you can find out anything. It's like an Encyclopedia Britannica for just stuff to get you through life. So whether it be auto repair or meditation or yoga or colonoscopies, I saw <laughs> There's a colonoscopy title for dummies, and so that get that you know that brings us now to why was there a book on EVs and what's my journey to electric vehicles? My journey started in 2017 with a literal journey in a Tesla Model X. I was in I'm from Kansas City. I was in Florida on business, and one of the folks I was working with had friends in the area. We all went out to dinner, and I got to ride in their brand-new Tesla Model X. And, of course, I was familiar with with EVs at the time, but only just general mild interest. Um, you know, I, I'd heard about how fast they were, and, and it was a really nice car, but the Model S at the time was $100,000 or so, so it wasn't something that was really on my radar uh, in terms of 
Brian Culp's next car. But I got in this Model X and I was like five minutes into the ride, I was like, oh, this is different. This is this is cool. And it's that kind of experience that most people have when they encounter an EV or when they're they're first behind the wheel or in the passenger seat of an EV, that, that there's something different about this product and that it's just, it's hard to articulate. You just get the sense that this is a better way to get from point A to point B, similar to the first time you probably picked up a smartphone, an iPhone, or an Android device. If you had had a BlackBerry or a flip phone beforehand, you just thought there was just something you're like, oh, this is better. I guess we don't need all these buttons to make this thing work. I would rather have this than the other thing that I had previously. And so that was the that was the genesis of, of electric vehicles for me. It just kind of was one of those inception ideas that was planted in my brain uh, during that car ride. And for the next year, I did some extensive reading about it. I just became much more interested in the topic. And then we finally got an EV, uh, and I say finally, but we were fairly early adopters as far as these things go. Uh, in 2018, at the end of 2018, we purchased a uh, a Model 3 to replace an existing car that my daughter was driving, a uh, Honda Civic that she had turned into a uh, a bit of a bumper car. Uh, <laughs> and so and so we were kind of shuffling cars around. We were like, well, there's this tax incentive out there. Uh, it's time for a new car anyway. Do we want to get our daughter a new car? Or, you know, what what do we reasonably want to get our daughter? Well, let's give her this older car that we have, and and you know, mom and dad will will take the vehicle upgrade here, and see what what the experience of owning an EV is all about. Like we were just kind of went into it with, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know, the life is um, both too short and too long not to kind of find out what this is all about, and you know, if we hate it, then we'll sell it to someone else or trade it into the dealership and and change our mind about EV. And we have literally never looked back. Um, after owning an EV for a while, we then became very interested in working for an electric car company. And my wife is a software developer. She got a job offer from Tesla. And in the summer of 2019, we moved from Kansas City to the Bay Area, to San Francisco Bay Area, to work for Tesla. Three months after that, I was lucky enough to get a job offer from Lucid Motors to become a technical writer for them. And so here we are. The you know, If you caught the mention of the technical writing part, I've been a, a writer for 15 years, maybe closer to 20 years now, if I add up the, all the years um, that are on the on this particular chassis, and I have a I have a book agent. So some technical writers have book agents. I'm one of those technical writers, and my agent contacted me and said, "Hey, you're uh, in the electric vehicle business now. I've got a book project that our publisher, or you know, that John Wiley is looking for an author." And so I put together a pitch, and I was selected to write the book, and. Uh, over a course of nine months or so, just spent a lot of nights and weekends uh, researching and writing about electric vehicles for an audience who was kind of new to the topic. So 
that's how this all came about. And I really like kind of moving back a little bit to something you said earlier. I really like the analogy of the phone, the cell phone, you know, and because I, I, I tend to be an early adopter, too. I mean, I have a Newton message pad somewhere in a drawer, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe two, if I'm honest with you. So uh, <laughs> perhaps some of the audience won't understand what that means. Yeah. Um, Next but, year, Palm Pilot, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I had one of those, too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I, I remember getting, when it first came out, the iPod Touch, which is basically, <laughs> I don't think they make them anymore, it's the phone uh, minus the phone part. Um, and right. you could do a lot of stuff on there. And I remember showing it to neighbors and being in Target one time where they had them on display. And when people looked at these things, it was almost like magic. You know, now we take it for granted. It's part of our our DNA almost, you know. Yeah, people people ask you where the scroll wheel was. How do you you launch a song when there's no scroll wheel? Yeah, so it was like totally different, but it it kind of struck a chord and it was like magic. And... uh, Cars are kind of, uh, electric cars are kind of also in that category in that, you know, perhaps you could call it a, a car, but better, you know, it, it's just a better car, you know, and I, I find that very interesting. I remember taking someone for a ride, uh, and this is a person that uh, was head of a makerspace uh, here in Louisville, so very technically savvy. Right. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll, I'll take you for a drive in my Nissan Leaf. And he said, oh, it's like a real car. You know, and this is someone that really is open to new things. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, we have a lot of educating to do if if people have these kind of preconceived notions, you know, kind of coming into it. Yeah. I think that kind of talks to electric cars for dummies. I mean, education. Um, is there something unique about the dummies series when, when a, a writer is asked to kind of become part of that family as far as the tone of the book? Um, you know, what is that like? I mean, what is, what is, I guess, the process? How long did it take? What kind of uh, direction did you have kind of going into it? Well, that's, that's a good question. And I guess, you know, for the, your audience who is curious about how these things are put together, most writing in the nonfiction world is of this nature, where the publisher has a title in mind that they want, and they think it addresses some kind of market need. So they've done their homework, and they know that um, you know they've got a list of topics from meditation to colonoscopies to electric vehicles, and now they they say that this is going to be our slate of books that are going to be released in the next year because they have finite resources in terms of the the people who put the books together, the people who project manage, the people who do some of the graphic design, and then the sales teams who go out and, and get the books onto shelves, even if they're, they are virtual shelves. Um, so the book comes to an author, in this case, fully formed in terms of the idea. And then from there, once, once the author is selected, if they're new to the Dummy series, which I was, then you kind of get a dummy's coach and you develop a pilot. Uh, it's kind of like, I guess, the TV industry where you do a pilot episode and then they give you feedback on that pilot episode. So I developed a pilot chapter. The first chapter I ever wrote for this book was, I think it ends up being chapter seven. I don't know off the top of my head, but let's call it chapter seven for the sake of argument. But that was the book on on charging. And in that chapter, I discuss the level one, level two, level three charging. But then I do so in the the direction you get 
with a dummies book is that it's supposed to be very conversational. It's not really, you don't have to go into electrical engineering. You explain it like you would to a neighbor, and then you work in as many kind of, you know, lame attempts at humor as you can work in there. So you just kind of, I guess, let your let your personality spill onto the page a little bit. And so that's kind of what I did. Again, it's not an academic read whatsoever. The other direction, which was also kind of interesting, is that the book is meant and it's it's written with the assumption that people are not going to read it starting on page one and then finishing on page 380. So you introduce your content and you don't you don't rely on someone like if they're picking up the book and their first chapter is chapter seven, you don't assume that they've read chapter three. So you don't have something that that is set up in chapter three that people would need to understand the topics in chapter seven. So chapter seven, if it indeed was chapter seven on charging, it's a self-contained unit. So those are the kinds of direction that you get. That's not, in terms of writing out a sequence and writing self-contained things, that's not terribly unique. But what makes the Dummies book unique is the the ability for most authors to uh, be lighthearted on the page. Generally, that's kind of frowned upon because it's, it's it's difficult, and I'm sure some readers will connect with my sense of humor, and other readers won't necessarily. And that's that's just par for the course with these things. So it's it's, it's hard to to be funny on the page, and uh, but you're told to at least make an attempt to do so with uh, the dummies titles. Approximately from start to finish, um, how long did that take? And you mentioned like a dummies coach. I mean, are are there other folks that were kind of brought in uh, to be involved in the project as well? Yes. With the general workflow for a technical book, or at least the technical books that I've been involved in, is that you have a developmental editor, and that is someone who's going to essentially steer, shape the, the tone and feel and the topics of the book. So it's someone who has is supposed to have some kind of domain expertise, or at least they can rely on other people who have domain expertise, such that you make sure that like, well, did you talk about level two, level three charging in your book? Uh, and they kind of catch that those kinds of things and just make sure that, that the topics that they anticipate the audience is going to be interested in, are they indeed covered in the book? So you have a developmental editor, and then you typically have a technical editor. And so that's a phase of making sure that those details are accurate or spot checking. So you're writing a book about DOS. So do the instructions, the technical editor would be involved with making sure that the instructions that you give for, you know, adding a file or or moving and copying files or renaming files, make sure all those things are accurate. And then you typically have a copy editor as part of the team. And the copy editor then goes through and their job is they don't care about the technical part of the book. They care about punctuation, spelling, grammar, consistency. Did you call something uh, level two charging in one part of the book and uh, fast charging in another part of the book, even though those are two different things? Right. Um, you get the idea. So there's developmental editor who kind of provides the oversight. There is a technical editor who makes sure that the technical material is is accurate, and then a copy editor makes sure that the the copy on the page is up to par. And how how long was the, was the process? I mean, uh, did it take 
you know, six months? Did it take a year, year and a half? Start to finish about nine months. The finished book is, I think it's exactly at 380 pages before the index. Okay. So the, the most important part of writing a book on deadline is hitting all the small deadlines, is getting with your developmental editor or your project manager, and then setting out those small goals. So, and even if it's part of a chapter, you know, to get 10 pages in every week or to get a chapter done every two weeks, that really is important because when those deadlines, when the small deadlines slip, then the big deadlines are missed. And in the technical writing world, publishers do not want to work with uh, authors who miss their deadlines because it's just it's too costly for them to because they've got they've just got too uh, too many other people lined up to be a part of the process of getting these books uh, into the market. Now, as a EV owner, and I believe you have a, a Tesla and a Lucid, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, as a as a EV owner. Do you feel like there are certain things like the top three things or the top five things? What are the most important things that people know need to know kind of maybe coming into it cold or would not without a lot of information in terms of. So let's see. Are you are you saying what are the, the common questions that people ask? I was going to ask you, actually ask you like in in your speaking and writing in your experience running the uh, the group in Kentucky. What what do people most commonly ask about it's interesting um we we get and this is going to be another question i was going to ask about yeah wondering if if the book is partially also myth busting you know it's interesting we we started our ev chapter about a little over eight years ago and i always said you know it's evolved ky kentucky's ev group uh a little plug for that and uh I always said, oh, you know, I, I think it was Ford, quality's job number one. Like the, I'm a marketing guy. So, you know, good marketing really kind of hits me. And I always said for our group and for the EV uh, kind of community in general is education is job number one. You know, it's just really important to educate people and to give them the information that they need. And I, I was doing a speaking thing um, the other night and... I said that and one of our I think it was one of our members actually kind of corrected me and he was right. He's like, you know, education might be job number one, but I would say it's almost a tie now for kind of combating misinformation Um, because we do get a lot of questions even from people that are driving Priuses that, oh, but I understand they're not as clean as, you know, uh, they say they are or Mm -hmm. what happens to the battery when the battery's done, you know, a lot of these questions that are like a broken record. And, you know, we almost have to have these go-to answers because for lack of better term, there's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of, you know, misinformation out there. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's great to have a book like this to give folks the tools that they need if they want to make a choice like this. Yeah. And I think really in in chapter one, I go through most of the the reasons you would want to buy an EV or, or consider driving an EV and a lot of the questions that typically come up. So one of the common questions, probably the most common questions, how long, is these th- how long does it take to charge them, right? And I'm sure that's not a new topic for most of your audience, uh, but it does come up a lot. And the, the way that I answer that question is, is about eight seconds. Right. That's how long it takes me to plug in. Uh, I talk in the book about a paradigm shift, which I talk about with people who are new to electric vehicles. And that paradigm shift is the paradigm shift of the 
yellow fuel light. Uh, I don't know if you've had similar types of discussions with people where with an internal combustion engine car, you are used to driving around until you see the yellow fuel light. And then you find a gas station and then you fill up the tank with gas. And that's a relatively painless process, but it's not something you ever really think about in an EV. You typically don't drive it until the yellow battery indicator comes up in your car or the red battery indicator comes up. But either way, you plug it in at night and then the thing recharges overnight. If you've got a level two charger, it'll plug in or charge all the way. Um, So that's one thing that, that does come up frequently. But the paradigm is that you just, you use the thing like you do your iPhone and then you plug it in at night when you're not using it. Or if you're at work, you can plug it in and get some miles back in your range. And then, you know, to, to if you were, really want to highlight the, the convenience of that for people, then I just, I typically talk about, you know, going to a gas station, relatively painless process. But so is going to a Blockbuster to rent a video. Doesn't take that long to find a Blockbuster, hit, you know, hit it on the way home from work, go pick out your movie, pay for it, and then get back in your car and go home. However, that takes 10 or 15 minutes. And if people have the option of saving 10 or 15 minutes in their day so that they can make it to their, you know, uh, yoga class on time or their kid's soccer game on time or go home and use that time to meal prep, then they take that opportunity. So so no one goes to Blockbuster anymore, obviously. Uh, they If they want to rent Thor Love and Thunder or, you know, Bullet Train, they do it through Netflix or they just rent it through YouTube or whatever. You know, there's lots of services where you can stream movies. So it's and it's likewise with electric vehicles. After you've experienced an EV for two weeks, really, you do not miss those trips to the gas station. You think, oh, this is really nice. I've, I've been to a gas station in the last two weeks. And you know what? I'll probably never go again. And that's fantastic. That is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's... Uh... I mean, that's one of the things that you hear over and over again from new EV drivers is, I'm never going back. You know, uh, they might not get, you know, their next EV might not be the same kind of EV or it might be something, you know, a different brand or whatever, but they're not yeah. going back to gas or diesel. Do you, I know the book just came out, but do you have reactions so far as far as uh, what fe- people are thinking about it? Um, the feedback seems to have been, it seems to be pretty good so far. Uh, it is interesting. I, I've I make my email address available at the end of the book so people can get a hold of me. Uh, relatively easy to find on, on LinkedIn. And and I have had people write me to say, hey, have you thought about issue X, Y, and Z? Um, I wish you had spent more time talking about uh, electric vehicles in Europe. So it has been interesting. I think the topic is sort of polarizing by its nature. And I think the reasons behind that have to do with human psychology more than they do with the the technology of, of an electric vehicle. Uh, they have to do with identity. I'm not a social scientist or a psychologist, but a car really is 
one of those things that because it's attached to you and because it goes around with you everywhere, like your your choice of television uh, is not really a part of your identity because you don't carry your television around with you to work and to school and to, you know, to the kids' soccer games. But your car is. And so a car becomes a part of who you are as a person, I think. Again, this is just my armchair psychology no, I, I of think what's going that's, on. Yeah, and, that's it. And, yeah. yeah, and I think because it has become tied up in identity, it becomes a little bit like some of the other polarizing types of issues that get a lot more attention during election cycles, but at the end of the day, don't. When you think about it, you're like, well, this doesn't really affect affect my day-to-day life. It gets a lot of attention, but it really is about uh, kind of how and who you identify as. So there are people who are going to be uh, internal combustion engine people, and they're going to, it's going to take a long time for them to um, kind of, I guess, realize that, realize the true benefits of what an EV can bring to to their lives and to the lives of the people that they care about. Yeah, and I mean, the whole polarization thing, um, I do a little freelance writing. Uh, I did a piece for Clean Technica on um, Tesla Semi, and I, I think there there was this 18-wheeler Facebook group, and uh, this piece ran, and, you know, after a while I just stopped reading the comments because it's a group that there are people, you know, I'm not going to make a blanket statement because there are people that are like i'm interested in this or let's wait and see and this sounds interesting but there are definitely people that are like totally from the get-go you know against this i'm wondering if a book like electric car for dummies will be a tool to kind of open the doors a little bit for the the you know a wider audience the general public um what do you what are your thoughts on that i i certainly hope so and i think the book it does not, you know, it, it is certainly, it's a 380-page argument in favor of electric vehicles. But I was very conscious while writing the book that I did not, you know, even though that, that, that there, there's parts of it where I take sideswipes at, at the things like uh, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Costco, for example. But these aren't exactly things where I, I'm punching down anyone. I, they can... They can survive a, a joke made it, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can survive a joke made it at his expense from Brian Culp, who is a nobody, just wrote this book. Um, so so what I'm trying to say is that as I, as I crafted this book, I did not, I was careful, at least in my mind, I was careful about not trying to make the argument that's, that, that you're an idiot if you don't drive an electric vehicle. Here's just here's the things that that delight me and have surprised me about electric vehicles. Here are some things worth considering. Uh, no, they don't take a long time to charge. They don't take a lot of effort to charge. Right? They take a right. long time if you're charging if you're plugging it into a, the outlet where you have your toaster. But plugging things in is not difficult. They, you know, the the data and the studies that have been done about like, well, this is just a you're just trading the the emissions from your tailpipe for emissions from a coal-fired electricity plant. Those really have been that that's been largely debunked as well. It's just a matter of saying like here's here's the reasons why I think electric vehicles are a good idea. Here's why it's a better product. 
And I think people are, are going to be much more, much more accepting of those ideas if they're couched in a way that, that is not, does not try to make people feel defensive about, because there's good reasons to have an internal combustion engine vehicle. It's convenient. You know, you can get to a gas station at almost any corner. It's not as convenient to find a place to plug in if you're out and about. But again, that that's a, goes back to that paradigm shift. You just don't you don't need to plug in when you are at your home or your apartment. Now, I'm kind of wondering about the timing of the book. I know, for example, um, there was a, a Chess for Dummies book at uh, the uh, Netflix series Queen's Gambit uh, was popular and... The chess for dummies just, you know, really did well, and because of something in society that boosted everybody's interest. Yeah, are we at a time? You know, I'm kind of in awe. I mean, you know, started this EV uh, group here over eight years ago, and if you would have told me then where we would be right now, I would absolutely say you're absolutely nuts. The the whole idea is it's like a joke. It's like, oh, where will we be in five years? And uh, I mean, and it's still going on. You know, people are still wondering where we're going to be in five or 10 years. Why now? Why, why, you know, electric cars for dummies now? Is there a real concrete reason for that? And is it going to translate to to really great sales? Uh, In terms of the book? Yeah. Sales? Well, I hope so. Uh, I know the publisher hopes so. That was not uh, foremost in my mind. Like I can't, I've been at this a long enough time where you just don't know which things are going to be met with uh, a lot of sales in the marketplace and which aren't. One of the things that I always edit myself when I'm speaking is that I I try not to conflate success with money or right. success with numbers of, of sales. So I, I, I'm proud of this book. I think it's a good book. I think it's a good introduction to electric vehicles and some of the considerations that, that people should have if they own a vehicle or if they're considering owning an electric vehicle. Uh, whether it sells 10 copies or a million copies, it's a successful book because of the content of the book. A lot of how, met, how many copies it ultimately, say, it ultimately moves is, is kind of beyond my control. I think we're at a good inflection point. Uh, I think the publishers also see that, that there's a market opportunity for a comprehensive introduction to electric vehicles. And that's why they had this book written. And if it wouldn't have been me, it would have been someone else who would have crafted this book. I think there's a reason that companies like Ford and Hyundai and Chevy and several others, Toyota, have staked such so many billions of dollars on developing electric vehicles in the next five to ten years. I think that there's a reason why Lucid Motors and Rivian and Tesla and Fisker and Faraday Future and Neo and Xping, I think there's a reason all of those companies exist. And it's ultimately the same reason every company exists. They want to turn a profit at doing what they do. And so, as I said, there's a reason why all those things are happening. And it's not, and those people know the automobile business and they want to anticipate where their customers are going to be. So I hope that those two things track. They're going to make, those companies that I just mentioned are going to make millions and tens of millions of electric vehicles between now and 2030. Why? Because it's a better product. Same reason iPhones are made and Blackberries aren't anymore. It's a better product. It's a cheaper product. It's better for your wallet. 
to get from point A to point B in your electric vehicle than it is in an internal combustion engine vehicle. So that arc that's going to happen over the next eight years or so, uh, I think, I hope that many of the several billion people on this planet will seek out this information and people will still appreciate that it's uh, been printed on a page and glued together and it's available well, and one of the things you just mentioned is it's a cheaper product. Yeah. And one of the things I hear a lot is, well, no, it's not a cheaper product because you go to the car dealer or you look online at the Tesla website and it's a very expensive vehicle. Yeah. But we have a lot of engineers in our EV group and, and, and really math-oriented people. And I thought it was very interesting at one of our meetings, um, someone said, oh, you know, we, we, we crunched the numbers. We didn't look at just... Uh, how much the vehicle costs. I think they did it against a, uh, I think it was a Honda Civic or a Toyota Camry or something pretty darn common. And they didn't just look at the sale price, but they took it three to five years out and they looked at total cost of ownership. And they were like, you know, the top tier Tesla Model 3 wins by a long shot. You know, when right. you consider the fuel savings and the maintenance savings and the longevity of the car, honestly. Right. Because there's so many fewer things to, you know, to break um, right. an EV. So it is kind of this relatively new change of thought, which is exciting. But it's things like, like this book that drives the point home that it is something that people should think about. So Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I actually, I've got something bookmarked here. I've got the book in front of me. I'm not leafing through it, but uh, specific to cost. The question is or the counter-argument, or the argument against EVs right now, one of them that I hear is they're expensive. And that is a very fair point, and that is true. They are expensive. But the fact of the matter is that cars are expensive in 2022-2023. Do you happen to know what the average cost of a car is? Any car? I will take... I don't. I will take a guess. Um... 35. 47. I thought I might be low. <laughs> wow. $47,100 okay. in 2022 is the average cost of a new vehicle. Wow. Now that's not the median, that's the average. Right. Um, but, so with that number in mind, I present to you the Nissan Leaf, which costs $20,000, the Mini Cooper, which costs $23,000, brand new, the Mazda MX-30, $27,000, the Kona EV, $27,000, the Chevy Bolt, $32,000, although I think that that's already out of date. I think the, she the Chevy it's Bolt now you can get for $25,000. Yeah, that's come down. The Volkswagen ID4 for $34,000, the Kia EV6 starts at $34,000, and the Hyundai Ioniq 5 starts at $37,000. Are Teslas more expensive than that average price? Well, maybe we need to check again. <laughs> you know, things are always changing, uh, and Tesla just reduced their prices like two two days ago, significantly. Yeah. And so I, yeah, and so I think they're probably underneath the like a, a Model Three standard range is probably underneath the the forty seven one hundred number that I just quoted. So so there's that consideration of just the sticker price and. I don't think any financial advisor would ever recommend that you buy a brand new car anyway as a financial move. But again, there's just there's more emotion and identity tied up in a vehicle purchase anyway. But there's certainly you know I'm not going to argue that that it's a great financial decision to buy a car. If you can live your life without a car, do it. 
Right. Um, if I lived in downtown Manhattan or downtown San Francisco, I would probably not have a vehicle, period, and just rent vehicles when I needed to take longer trips or, or ride share, things like that. So there's that. There's the sticker price. That doesn't. That leaves aside the, the total cost of ownership, which you talked about being calculated with your engineering companions in the EV group. And in the book, I have a, a, a link to a tool. There, there's lots of tools that are out there, but Pacific Gas and Energy, the, the electric utility up here in Northern California, has a, a website. It's ev.pge.com forward slash vehicles. Maybe we can leave it in the show notes or something like that. But it is a fantastic tool. And I've got a few screenshots of the book, but it, it, you can put in car A and car B and then compare their total cost of ownership over five years. And in almost every instance, if you compare a like a Chevy Bolt to a similar car like a Volkswagen GTI, like a Volkswagen Golf, the the total cost of ownership over five years, you're gonna save twenty one grand. Wow. Owning a Chevy Bolt versus owning a Volkswagen um, GTI. And so tools like that are very helpful for the cost conscious when it comes to considering uh, an electric vehicle. I think this kind of goes back to some of the things about myth-busting and questions you address when you're talking to folks about EVs. I think people are going to adopt EVs, and so do the Fords of the world and Chevys of the world and Teslas of the world. They, they think that people are going to adopt EVs because it just makes financial sense for them to do so. And that's some of what this total cost of ownership shows us, is that when you, you know, you, will your electric bill go up? Yes, it'll go up. But you know what goes to zero when you own an EV? Your gas bill, your gasoline bill. And that counts in the monthly cost of ownership of a car is how much are you spending for upkeep? How much are you spending on oil changes? How much are you spending to change the brakes? Because there's no, you know, an ICE vehicle doesn't have regen braking. A hybrid does, but right. not, a, not an ICE vehicle. So all those things add up, and all those things matter and will matter to people considering their next automobile purchase. What's what's this thing going to cost me? And unless you're talking about a used car for $5,000 or something like that, if, you, if you're talking about a relatively late model car or a brand new car, um, your best financial move is going to be to go to an EV. Well, even a used car for $5,000, sometimes you get what you pay for, you know, and, and uh, that could be, uh, you know, you might feel like you're getting a deal, but uh, you might be in for a bunch of headaches. So, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm also kind of curious, electric cars for dummies, obviously it's for the general public, but I, I think it was Electric Vehicle Association. I'm not sure. I believe uh, they were saying they were looking into doing some uh, possible bulk buys for the book. I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm not 100% certain about that. But I know as far as the group that I started here with Evolve, um, I kind of think that there is a place for buying this book in bulk and I don't know, maybe giving it out to new members or making it available at our ride and drives. I, I am a great friend of uh, Drive Electric Dayton's uh, president, um, Rap Hankins, and he was talking about um, forming really good relations with car dealerships and maybe making it available to car dealerships. Because, and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, 
a lot of times folks that have done their research and are going into a traditional car dealership will know more about the car, the electric car, than the salesman on the floor. And oh, that's, yeah. that's uh, due to a lot of reasons. Uh, they don't always have training that's that's needed. And also, even if they do have the training, there's a lot of turnover in that space for car, you know, car salesmen. Uh, I'm wondering if there's a space for uh, not just individual sales of these books, but kind of doing even more good in going out to car groups around the nation, car dealers uh, in the different states and approaching it that way. No, I, I think you, there's definitely a market for those those kinds of things. And as the author, <laughs> this kind of brings up a, an interesting aspect of the publishing business, which is that creating and writing a book Creating or writing the book is one thing. Selling the book is a completely different discipline. And so there's generally a division of labor when it comes to either a book like a dummy series book or even like a book from Dan Brown or John Grisham or something like that, where it's a product and the author has a role to play in the creation of that product. And then there are there's a sales force who tries to, to sell that product. So I think it's a I would love to be more involved with kind of community outreach or group type of sales like you what you just mentioned. Uh if any of your listeners have an idea or have uh ways to connect with those kinds of groups, drop me a line, please. Because I know my because I know my publisher would be interested. Yeah. I, I'm sure I'm sure they will. And I, I think I would be remiss um, if I didn't ask you about uh, playing professional baseball. Um, I, I saw that in uh, uh, that line in there. <laughs> and uh, that, that I'm just really curious about that. Uh, yeah, that is that's part of the resume. When after college, I was drafted very late. I was drafted in the 42nd round and uh, parlayed that into a four year career in the minor leagues with the Colorado Rockies. So, you know, I was, I was pretty decent at baseball as far as these things go. I was decent enough to find out that I wasn't very good uh, after all, or uh, that, that, you know, there's always a higher level. So I was an outfielder in the, the Colorado Rockies minor league system. They had some really good outfielders at the time. Larry Walker, Dante Bichette, Ellis Burks were the, outfielders roaming around at the big league level. And so after four years, it became clear that uh, there wasn't much of a path for me to break into the big leagues and, and no other team wanted me at that point either, because after a couple of years, you can get, you can get taken in what's called the rule five draft. Um, so you're available if someone else thinks that you're the next Dante Bichette or Larry Walker, but apparently none of the other teams decided that that was the case for me. But it was a fun, it was a fun life while it lasted. Uh, I was ready for it to end by my fourth year because it becomes a job like any other. And especially if you're in the minor leagues, uh, because you, it is not, you're not going to retire to a uh, villa in Italy uh, on a minor league wage. Right, right. In fact, you're got, you barely can afford ramen on a minor league wage. Got it. I lived in, I it. lived in a two bedroom apartment with three other people. Wow. Is what you can afford on a minor league wage. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh this has been great. Has there is there something that I didn't touch on that you'd like to talk about? 
No, I don't think so. Like, I, I think most of the things that, that you end up talking about when it comes to the topic of EVs, I tried to not cover that ground because I'm sure they've been covered in, in other podcasts. So things like, you know, you, you asked about myth busting, and then I immediately asked you, what kind of myths do you encounter frequently in your discussions with people? So, like, for example, like, when do you have to replace the batteries? And I don't know what you tell people on your end, but what I tell people is never. Never. You never have to replace the batteries. They're engineered differently than your iPhone. Your iPhone is a pouch battery that uh, is engineered for fast charge and discharge, or fast charging especially. Uh, The batteries in in most electric vehicles are not engineered that way. And so the battery warranties are the longest warranty things that are in the car. There is a, a robust market for the materials that are in the batteries. So if you drive your electric vehicle for 10, 12, 15 years... Will it have the range it had when it's brand new? No. Will it have the range to get you through your daily commute and the occasional road trip? Yes. And when that it's time for that battery to become a, or it's time for that car to become reclaimed for scrap, you can grind up those batteries and recover that raw material and make it into something else. Or you can take those batteries and repurpose them for other industrial applications. So... That that's something that comes up because it's it's there's so many other disciplines that are part of the electric vehicle world that I didn't anticipate that I'm still learning about. But that's one of them, like you know, just battery chemistry, battery uh, product life cycle, what happens in the value stream of a battery. But generally speaking, it's just not something that um, I don't think you need to lose much sleep over. No. What's going to happen to your battery in your electric vehicle? No, and that's something we hear about over and over again. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, well, this has been great. I, I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, a pleasure talking to you and meeting you. Stuart, it's been a pleasure talking to you as well. Yeah, and, and as I said, I mean, I guess this is kind of an aside. I don't know if this will go on the podcast, but, but please reach out if you are interested in any kind of bulk sales or, or sales for large groups for the, of the book, because I, I, you know, I know a guy and we can get you, we can do bulk pricing, bulk purchases. I can facilitate that through, uh, the, the publisher. I know they'd be happy to hear about any of those opportunities. I'm sure you'll be getting some calls. That's great. Yeah. And, and again, it's on, on the bookshelves. It's, uh, in the, uh, internet space. Uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere, I, I think, right? Anywhere books are sold, as they That's say. That's it. That's it. That's right. Well, thank you again. It's, it's been a real pro- pleasure. Stuart, I appreciate it. All Take right. care. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.